Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. I think it's safe to say that Uli Boita Cohen marches to a different drummer. Originally from Germany, Uli settled on the West Coast, Portland, Oregon to be exact, where she and her husband ran a creative agency for several years. Wanderlust then set in, and the pair took their savings, left their job, and spent two months traveling in Asia before moving to New York, which is where they call home. A documentarian, artist, writer, Uli is also creator of Subway Book Review, a social media movement that explores belonging to a time and place through writing and photography. A sought-after speaker and panelist, her work has appeared online, in print, and on TV. Uli's first book, Between the Lines, Stories from the Underground, as in the New York City subway system, she has spent the better part of 10 years riding the rails, observing, interviewing, and photographing strap hangers, highlighting who we are and where we're going. This collection of 170 interviews is, and I quote, an enthusiastic celebration of the way stories invite us into each other's lives, as well as a call to action for imagining a bold, empathetic future together. So let's meet and get to know this unique creative woman. Uli, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Sandy, I'm so excited to be here with you and the listeners. Thank you for having me. Well, Uli, let's start at the very beginning. You were born in Germany, but you decided not to stay. Why? That's such a great question to start with, and we have to go back quite a bit. I'm celebrating my 20-year anniversary with the United States of America <laughs> this year. And when I came here, um, I left right at the age of 20. I just turned 40 this summer. And I packed my two suitcases and decided that I wanted to join the entertainment industry. I think I come from a long lineage of storytellers um, that my grandfather you know, really cemented into my mind and my heart firmly. And I always had a hankering for participating in the great storytelling universe. And of course, America was kind of the Mecca for a girl from a small town in the south of Germany in the, you know, late, late 90s, very early 2000s. So that was my American dream. And I had no idea how I was going to make that happen. And if you had asked me then, of course, if I ever thought I would end up here 20 years later, I would have had no clue. You mean you back in the day, you just thought you were coming for a visit as opposed to really putting down roots? Back in the day, I mean, let's be honest. Back in the day, I was a very unafraid young woman who even in, you know, even in Germany, I would take trains to see friends in bigger cities. And of course, what that brought with it, that the wanderlust, as you said, kicked in very early. Mm. And with that, I became very interested and enamored with an exchange student who was at our German high school who lived in, um, who lived in Oregon. And we started a total romance that we kept <laughs> <laughs> up with, you know, with email back in the day. We both had Yahoo email addresses and we were very proud of that because that was kind of new. 
And we had this relationship over email and would write each other these elaborate letters. And I thought, oh man, after graduation, I'm going to go visit him and I'm going to see if this sticks. And of course, that relationship didn't stick at all. And to, you know, to get over there, quote unquote, I enrolled myself in a, in a summer program uh, for uh, theater and broadcasting. And the relationship didn't last, but I became totally enamored with this theater program and this broadcast program. And that prompted me to apply for a student visa uh, to stay longer, which, you know, also something to be said that theater program and that broadcast program also fell apart. But that again did not prompt me to return back home because then at that point thought I can't go back home with a failed relationship attempt and a failed course of study attempt. I have to go home and sh show something. Mm. And that then prompted me to enroll in a film school in Portland, Oregon without telling anyone because I'm the kind of person who likes to have something going on. I'm, I'm very much, you know, of the uh, self-made mentality that you have to go out after your goals boldly. And it somehow fell into place that that film program was meant to be out of the two previous failed attempts. The third one stuck. And um, I ended up graduating with a Bachelor of Science and with honors, which I was very proud of as someone who is ESL. And oh, uh, yeah, also right. met my current husband at that film program, if you can believe it or not. So I'm getting the sense that a you're not intimidated by anything. And at the same time, you're a self-starter. So you were just going to do what you needed to do for you, regardless of what that involved. I think that's true. I also feel that youth is on your side when you're a self-starter in terms of, was I less unafraid then than I sometimes get now? Right, right. I think that that is just, you know, that's part of how society conditions us, especially as creative women. I think as we get older, maybe we question things a little bit more and we also have a hankering for security and stability in a little bit of a different way. And I really think just biologically speaking, there's something about the unknown that changes or wants to change in our relationship with the unknown as we get older. And so now I definitely have to bring more presence of mind to that. And I have to be much more conscious to not be intimidated by the unknown and by, you know, the lack of stability that can come with being an artist full time. But back then you couldn't tell me nothing, Sandy. <laughs> I had my mind set on something and I would make it so. Um, and so your parents did not stand in your way? My parents, I have to say, they're pretty phenomenal people. I'm a single child. And when their only child and a daughter left, they were, of course, heartbroken. But mm. I think they have raised me to be an independent spirit. And so it would have been uh, hy hypocritical and it would have right. been not truthful on their end to then try to clip my wings um, when their quote unquote goal and their you know, their dream of making me an independent woman was actually becoming true. That said, you know, we now have a really beautiful relationship that maybe is even stronger because we communicate over the phone and over messages so much. And they're very much part of my life. A hundred percent. You go back and forth much? I haven't had a chance to visit, of course, because of the pandemic. Well, yeah, and I'm sure. really hoping to see them after almost two years this Christmas. So you're in Portland, Oregon, and you meet your soon-to-be husband. 
And was he on the same page as you occupationally? Yes, he was. And we actually were best friends, which is very cute and very romantic and very cheesy. I know, but it's very true. We were best friends and we were, we were creative collaborators before we were romantically involved. And he is, he was then and he is today one of my biggest creative supporters. And coming right out of film school, we both graduated the same year and we had a lot of projects that we did together. We did each other's thesis projects with each other. And right out coming out of that program and graduation, I won a film prize for a project that he had been involved in, of course. And we used that money to start our first business together, which was a creative studio named Sandy Montana. And we took the film prize money and invested it in a website and business cards and office chairs and a very rundown building <laughs> in the industrial uh, part of Portland. And out of that grew a really beautiful company that employed 12 people and had big and small clients that was very diverse and very focused on diverse storytelling and empowering voices of those who are not heard. And we really had the best of time until uh, around six years, we realized that it was time for us to do something else and to also leave the pond that was Portland for something slightly bigger. So you kind of... I'm using this term in quotes, wore out your welcome for what you were doing and said, we've got to move on now to the next event in our lives. I think that, you know, if we think back to also what time it was, I started the company fresh out of college. I had never been employed myself anywhere else before. You got a lot of balls, don't you? I, uh, they're pretty big. They're pretty big. I say this about myself. I say my, you know, I have, uh, I don't know if I can say it, but my friends say I have BDE. I have big dick energy. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to make it, but if it does, hi, Alex, her and I talk about this all the time. I started this business with really no knowledge about it. And this was also a time where female entrepreneurship was not encouraged. This was in, um, this was in 2006. I couldn't even get a bank account without male business partners as a person who was here with a green card, which now things have changed to some degree. And it is, it is a bit more possible for people who are immigrants to, really start with the support of the country behind them, but it still comes with a lot of hurdles. And I think after six years and those entire six years, based on the nature of the work that we did and the people that we wanted to hire, I'm very proud that I also, you know, was able to help people with their immigration status as employees while they were here in this country and working for us. But I think that there comes a time where, yes, it wears you down. And my own creativity had shifted where I was really taking care and nurturing other people's creativity more than my own. And I needed to reinvigorate my own creative muse. And I felt that after six years, it was a good time. So was it a no-brainer after your travels through Asia to come all the way east to New York? I love that you are bringing that up because that was a really important trip. Why? Because we went to a place 
that neither of us had ever before been to. And after being in uncharted territory for so long, where we were responsible for other people, it was really amazing to be free floating in a space where we were only responsible for ourselves and how we came across as visitors. Yeah, but it makes perfect sense. You came here, you didn't know what you were doing. You gave birth to something it was successful. And so I'm not saying Asia makes the most sense, but why would you not do that? Yeah, we had to do it. We really had to do it. It was a very strong calling. And um, it was a matter of really being immersed in something that was absolutely, totally new. And it was like a refresher for every single one of our senses. And like it was like we came alive again, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like your soul taking a bath in the most delicious water every day. And it was also the how we were greeted and how we were treated and the people that we met along the way. I'll never forget this. We had Thanksgiving dinner, quote unquote, with a tuk-tuk driver at his favorite restaurant because he was taking English classes. And he realized that as we were going back to our hotel, that it was American Thanksgiving. And he said, well, don't you want to have Thanksgiving? And we said, (laughs) sure, that sounds great. And he said, may I take you to my favorite place? And I said, yes, but only if you'll join us. And he did. And I will never forget that Thanksgiving. It was absolutely stunning. Did you have turkey? Absolutely not. (laughs) I wouldn't think so. (laughs) We had some kind of fermented fish. I think that um, that was in Vietnam at that time. Well, it's a new take on Thanksgiving. So you and your husband come to New York. Yes. Now what? I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Sandy. I'm like, once again, no one can tell me nothing. But at that time, I also had a very cushy job as a executive director of a new media company that was called Distinct Media. Um, it does not exist under that name anymore. It has changed names since many times. And I honestly couldn't tell you the name exactly at this moment. But Andy Liu, the founder, um, is a really phenomenal man who... Uh, comes from tech and wanted to build his own digital magazine. And he hired me and wanted to have an office in New York. And so that's how I arrived here. But once again, I was very much beholden ultimately to someone else's creativity. And I think I ran, quote unquote, into that trap again to nurture other people instead of my own Mm -hmm. creativity. Mm -hmm. And I had a great time and it was also really wonderful to have that kind of financial support coming to New York, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world. Has well, hello. Been, and you needed the security, I would have to assume. I mean, yes. it's, it's exciting and whatever, but still you have to be a realist. You don't move here and have nothing. I mean, I've seen people try and I've seen them uh, move back out and sell their mattress faster than they could spell mattress. So (laughs) that also was important to my husband, Alec, and I to land softly and not so harshly after everything that we had just been through, because closing a company really requires a lot of heart and requires a lot of patience and also a lot of self-control to not, um, you know, let yourself fall apart 
and regard yourself as a failure. Right. Um, so we needed a soft landing and with this job that was possible. And so I was, I, and it was the most beautiful, cushy job that I will probably ever have. It was the only time that I was employed by someone. And it was, you know, a four day a week very well-paid position where I basically got to hang out with creatives and got to tell their stories and help them find a platform. So it was a dream job in every sense of the way, but I had to admit that I was again doing the thing that I, you know, needed to change was not happening, which was to unleash my own creativity fully. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, did your husband go his own route when you got to New York? Yes, he did. Um, he's a comedy director and an editor, and he took a strong foothold in that immediately. So okay. um, he's still very much rooted in that and is currently, you know, participating in festivals and awards, all kinds of exciting things. People should also hire him because he's phenomenal. Anyway, quick little hype moment for Alec Cohen. The thing <laughs> that I realized I needed to do as I was employed by this company was that I needed to connect with other New York artists to understand how that works here in the city. And I wanted to find out how they were doing it. And so this is very German of me, but I created something called accountability group. Yes, I know. Very on the nose Mm -hmm. where I would gather five people around my kitchen table, the same five people every week. And I would hold us to it. And it was, I guess it was part group therapy, part think tank, part, you know, something else, part like spirituality church group, because what we did together was we unearthed what our hurdles were and what our inherent beliefs about our creativity were. And then we helped each other to break through that or to rewrite that or to shift that. And that was a really important thing for me because I think that's when I really came into my own and when I committed to really even being an artist again on my own volition and to follow my own inner voice and my own intuition to a new degree. And that is when Subway Book Review occurred to me on December 23rd, 2013 on the B train. I remember it well. What was the point of Subway Book Review in your mind at that time? Well, at the time, it came out of an exercise that I had self-assigned during one of our accountability group meetings. The idea had been to find an iconic New York place and to become very still and to observe it. And to me, the subway is a place that's absolutely fascinating. It's actually the reason that I didn't want to move to New York City, if I'm honest with you, because at that point, there was no Wi-Fi on trains and I was so totally afraid of getting lost. And I was so afraid of getting stuck on the subway. Yeah, it's very intimidating in the New York City subway system. I mean, once you've mastered it, it's a big nothing and it's boring. But boy, as a first timer, it can be very overwhelming. It's very overwhelming because, you know, it's also doesn't run. The MTA doesn't run uh, the way that you would imagine, right? Like we all know it. Suddenly the A train will be on the F track and suddenly, uh, you know, the train doesn't run at all anymore. And you have to figure out where the next bus is. Sometimes you're stuck in a tunnel for 45 minutes. And that's just, you know, that's just a regular Monday. Then there are all the other things that happen um, during a time where the weather interferes, for example. So, yeah, for a newcomer, the subway was totally intimidating to me. And um, I think 
at the same time, I could recognize that it's also the place in New York City that is slowest to change. And that's what makes it so unique and so democratic because all of us have to take it. All of us have to resign to it. But we're also finding ways to exist on it that are very personal. And at that time, there were so many people who were reading on the subway that it just like, it struck me as that being a whole own community of people. And to me, I thought if someone can dive into a masterpiece in the middle of rush hour and enjoy themselves, they are probably a person who has something interesting to say. And once I personally myself became very still on the subway, I was able to notice these readers. And I saw that they just stood out to me. It was almost like they had a little glowing light around them. I know that sounds so fantastical, but that's really, they were these little beacons in this super packed, hectic environment that was so unpredictable. And they seemed so serene and they seemed to have some kind of answer. And so I felt like I needed to strike up conversations with these strangers to find out which worlds they were diving into and what they were occupying their minds with, but also who they, you know, were and where they were going and who they wanted to become. And as a filmmaker and someone who really is drawn to documenting lives, that became my mission. And I committed to that on December 23rd, 2013, when I struck up my first conversation with a young woman named Hannah, who was reading Catching Fire and was on her way to a rehearsal at Alvin Ailey, the famed uh, dance, dance troupe. Sure, of course. I can't believe that anybody would talk to you. You were <laughs> invading their space, number one. Number two, everybody is so skeptical of somebody else, you know, on a subway and they want to be in their own space. So I'm surprised on some level that this took off. I get that reaction, Sandy, from many diehard New Yorkers. But I think the response I'm actually getting in reality is that people thank me for seeing them. So Subway Book Review was, in essence, the precursor to your first book. Yeah, the book is a collection of seven years of work and it has a lot of favorites in it, but mostly it's comprised of stories that I've never published before. And where Subway Book Review is a very organic flowing experience that I share on social media, the book is giving me the chance to make it a chaptered experience and to at the same time basically take someone along on my journey underground with me where there is so much unexpectedness to be found and so many conversations that you could never predict, even though they might be in a chapter called trees, um, mm. that I think there is that wonder that I get to experience when I talk to these beautiful people that I just really wanted to share more succinctly. And also um, I think Between the Lines is a bit of a milestone for myself because when I started the project, representation of diverse voices in literature was a completely different animal. And it has changed tremendously in the seven years that I've been doing this work. And I'm very proud to have contributed to that. So it's also a celebration of the thing that we have accomplished together. And um, it's just something that, you know, I put all my magic into and have tried to capture the magic that New York has to offer as well. So you're a one-man 
banned when you're on the subway. In other words, I'm sitting in my seat and I am reading and you're watching me. And then at some point you're going to approach me with a camera or just with a pad and notes. I'm a, I'm a old school cuspy millennial. I would approach you with my phone in hand and I, okay. mm-hmm. I do everything. You're correct. I'm a one, one woman show. I have everything with me that I had to be mobile and fast, meaning I do everything on my phone, my photography, my interview work. Um, it is the best tool to have with you because it's the one that's already in your pocket. Of course. Um, and you have no excuses, you know, you can't, you can't blame your equipment for failing you or for being too bulky. And I think that when you do this kind of work, you need to make it easy for yourself. So yes, I would approach you and I would have my phone in hand, but I wouldn't have it on. And I would say, this cover looks very interesting. Can you tell me what it is you're reading? I vibe out who is open to it and who is not. Also, if someone's on the last page of the book, I will absolutely not interrupt them while they're finishing that tome. I will wait until they're done and I will look what their facial expression says. And sometimes people have tears in their eyes. Sometimes they gasp or inhale. Sometimes they have a big smile on their face. And then I will absolutely go up to that person and say, did you just finish this book? How was it? And they will say, oh my God, it was stunning. And I will say, which book actually was it? I didn't see the title. And they say, oh, it was such and such. It was How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. And it blew my mind because it reminded me that Rosa Parks moved mountains with inaction. And I will say, oh my God, have you ever moved mountains with inaction? And they will say, I don't think so. And I will say, never really think about it. And they say, maybe I have back in high school when I refused to turn in homework that was racist. And I was like, that's amazing. And they will say, wait, who are you? But at that point, we're already friends. I, I, I mean, I'm in a sense in between a rock and a hard place, only in the sense that I do talk to strangers. And for the most part, I'm not blown off. OK, I think that people don't see me as particularly threatening. And I if I'm online to get tickets for something or whatever, I invariably strike up a conversation. So that part of it doesn't blow my mind as you're telling me this, but it's still the freaking subway. Okay. Yeah. It's noisy. It's everybody's so skeptical, suspicious. You're invading their space. Has anybody just told you to fuck off? Of course. I mean, in a lot of sense, I'm the most rejected woman of New York City, but I wear that badge very proudly because you know what, Sandy, I approach people with love. And I will say that very bluntly and very honestly, and people can feel that. But I also respect when someone is in a different place and I will never push it because there's no sense in that. There's no sense in feeling like I'm invading someone's space. I don't like that feeling. I'm not an invader. I'm an addition. I'm a gift in your day. I'm the best thing that has ever happened to you. And mm -hmm. And I say that very sincerely because I give you the space to reflect. And that is a space that is not often given to people. You're giving it to people. You're giving me a chance to reflect right now. That is very, very rare where someone truly can just be invited to express themselves. 
People do not get that invitation very often. And I think that we would be surprised. It surprises me. I think you're expressing the same thing. How surprising that thousands of people by now have shared that moment with me. And at times that were really inconvenient. And I say this because I remember a conversation where a woman was reading An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. And it was Valentine's Day. And so to me, that was a golden feast because I thought, oh my God, American marriage, Valentine's Day, banger. This will be amazing. And the woman looked a bit distressed, I will say, but I approached her anyway. And I was very gentle with her because I could tell that maybe something was up. And she said, I told her about the project. I told her who I was. I told her what I was doing. And I asked if she would be interested in talking about the book with me. And she said, for some reason, I want to, but I really shouldn't because I'm going currently through the worst breakup of my life. I've just been brutally dumped. And she described this experience to me on Valentine's Day and how she had hoped to build a family and how this person had, as they were about to get engaged, completely ghosted her and how that made her feel and how that made her distrust people in general. So this is a prime candidate to reject me, but she didn't. And we ended up having a really wonderful conversation. She emailed me later and she said that, I actually made her day by seeing her because at that moment she felt so invisible and she felt so unlovable. And the fact that I had picked her out of the crowd of millions made her feel good about herself in some kind of way. And we stayed in touch. And of course, I revisited her. Her name is Maya Marie Clark. I revisited Maya Marie uh, for the book and I caught up with her a couple of years later. And she said, Uli, you'll never believe it. I have made my family, but in a completely different way than I would have ever anticipated. And I said, tell me, what did you do? And she said, the way that you struck up the conversation with me inspired me. So I started to sit on park benches more. And I noticed an older lady who would sit on a park bench nearby the same bench, same time every weekend. And finally, I went up to her and I found out that her name is Cosette. And I found out that she had lost her husband and that she had no family left of her own. And so I started to see her on purpose every weekend and we would have lunch together. And I started to invite her to my family gatherings. We spent Christmas together. We spent Thanksgiving together. And Cosette is now my family. And I don't need this man anymore at all who I thought was going to be it because one can make a family and one can love someone else in many different ways. And I'm not making that up. That is just what unfolds. And I really believe that this ripple effect of goodness and extending kindness to each other is one of the most important things we can do. And in and of it all, Subway Book Review is a creative project. It is my creative expression, but it's also my community service. And it's also my way to pump a little bit of extra love into the city. The Subway Book Review still exists. Subway Book Review continues and it continued throughout the pandemic when, of course, I couldn't ride the subway, but I decided to ask people with, of course, taking safety precautions to meet me above ground and then took their photo in the entrances. 
Those were people who I was just curious about how they were getting on during this time of distress and this time of change and this time of uncertainty and beautiful conversations ensued. For example, with Wendy Goodman, who is the design editor at New York Magazine, who reminisced on 9-11-2020 about 9-11-2001 with me and also told me about Richard Avedon's Proust collection, which was just such a delight to hear about. Is it fair to assume that there will be a volume two with stories from the underground? A volume two? Yes, absolutely. I'm also, instead of making an audiobook, I've launched a mini podcast so that people can hear the voices and can hear the underground um, that is also captured in the book. And I have big dreams, Sandy. I hope to break into unscripted TV to go back to my film roots and to document some of these stories visually and to really bring them to life in a new way. I'm curious, has anybody missed their stop because they were talking to you? Oh my God. Yes. So many times that I feel so guilty, <laughs> but often I will change my route and I will just, I will just follow them. And I have occupied people absolutely to the turnstile, a hundred percent. And nobody swatted you away, huh? I have been called every name under the sun. I have escaped spit. I have escaped curse words. <laughs> I have escaped anything close to assault. I've been through it all, Sandy. But adversity cannot stop us. And New York is a place that I think is not built on adversity, actually. But I think it is a place where you have to be tough. And it has absolutely made me a better woman and a tougher woman and a more persistent woman. That I can say. As you're describing this whole process, none of it is a surprise based on what your background is. You do what you want to do and nothing is going to stop you. And I think that's not only ballsy, but I, I think that's very empowering, especially for other women. What, what's stopped you? What stops me is honestly only ever myself. And I think that that is something that I'm getting very much in touch with since my 35th year, because I am a person who also I suffer from anxiety and I suffer from depression. And you would probably never guess that when you meet me underground. But when I say that the thing that can stop me and the only thing that can stop me is myself, that is also true for every other person, depression, anxiety or not no matter what trauma you've experienced, in the end, it is the relationship that you have with yourself and the faith that you have in yourself and the trust that you understand and see your place in this world so clearly that will keep you going. And there are absolutely days when I doubt it or when I think I'm obsolete or where I think that I have accomplished a beautiful goal and now what? Or mm -hmm. where I just don't feel like trying again or where love feels like an absolute Absolutely um, inconsequential goal to pursue based on how the world is acting. But then I have to remember how much these conversations not just fill other people up, but also how much they fill me up and how much joy they bring me and how much belief in this thing that we call humankind they instill in me. And I'm just a hopeful person. And I refuse to give up on hope. And I refuse to give up on loving each other. And I refuse to give up on seeing each other. And I have to hang on to that. 
And on a really bad day, when I don't want to get out of bed, the thing that reminds me about it is people like Maya Marie, who made a new family member on a park bench because of mm-hmm. our conversation on the A train. Mm-hmm. Of the 170 people that you've interviewed, I would imagine it would be difficult to say who's impacted you the most, because that would almost be a question like, who's your favorite child? Mm-hmm. Yes, a thousand percent. Well, one conversation that I think stands out that led me to another conversation that was just really stunning. And I think that's very emblematic of how small of a village New York City really is once you really take a better look at it. I spoke to a photographer about M-Train. Her name is Ellie. And Ellie was reading M-Train because she had lost her mother. And she reminisced through M-Train how she would watch crime shows while eating ice cream while her mom was going through chemo. And she she found that Patty Smith was doing the same thing, but with her hairless cats in her apartment, which is mm-hmm. watching the crime shows, not the chemo, thank God. Mm-hmm. But um, And she told me about grief and how grief uh, is running through her life. And I asked her if she also was still doing photography. And she said, yes, that she had spotted these chicken coops in the middle of Brooklyn and that she was really curious about how they got there and that she wanted to go photograph them. And as soon as I heard about that, of course, I had to find out who put these chicken coops all over the city. And it took me a couple of months, but eventually I found Greg Anderson. And Greg Anderson is a former New York Parks employee who turned out built these chicken coops as a response to 9-11 because he wanted his children to have something small and gentle to care for. And he wanted to give other people in the city that same kind of feeling that there was growth and there was life and there was new possibilities. And Gregory Anderson just turned out to be one of those people who have, who's not from Brooklyn, but who is from Alabama and who told me about his cousin's farm, Buster Bishop Brown, who taught him about taking care of something small like a chicken. And he then took that with him to New York and employed that knowledge at the right time and ended up working for the parks department for 25 years. And then out of that conversation came another conversation with a current parks department employee who talked to me about his love for trees and the fact that he's building a palm tree arboretum in Selma, Alabama. And none of these people know each other but they all kind of have this beautiful connection to each other without even knowing it. And the fact that I got to unearth it is just, that stuns me. And that is so beautiful. And that makes this moment in time so significant and kind of grounds it. So those conversations come to mind as some that just really stand out as just so gratifying, you know? This my reaction surprise you? And as I'm listening to this, this is like, holy shit, what you've uncovered here. You're just taking it as whatever. I can't imagine that this hasn't not only impacted you, but impacted them. 
It does. It does impact us all completely because I will go back to Ellie and I will tell her I found Greg Anderson. And not only did I find Greg Anderson, you're now in this book together. And they we cried together on the phone. Of course we do. I'm a very emotional person, Sandy. I'm a triple water sign. I'm a cancer sun, Scorpio moon, cancer rising. I'm all emotions all the time. This is like drugs for me. You know what I mean? This unearthing of these connections. That is what keeps me going. That is what I'm high on. That is my favorite drug. And I seek that like, you know, my next kick, but it is also absolutely, it is so totally mind blowing and so satisfying to come across it. And I just want to say though, anyone can come across these connections when you really look and you really listen. This is available to anyone. This is not just available to me, though I will say I'm very good at it because I've practiced it for seven years. And anything that you practice for a long time, you will become really freaking good at. I don't know if I'm masterful at this point. I'm really curious when I'm 10 years into it, 15 years into it, how my work will be received. Because also as women in the creative fields, our work ages differently than the work of men. We know this, how many street photographers who are women um, have only recently even been named versus how much have we celebrated street photographers who are men, no questions asked in the blink of an eye and give them every opportunity. We're just treated differently as creative women in this field of documentation, street photography, capturing our city, commenting on it. And I have to make peace with that and I have to let it unfold as it may. And in the meantime, I have to make it really delicious and really good for myself so that I can keep going. Mm. But on the other hand, it's almost as if you can't help yourself. What you do is basically a natural act for you. What I do is absolutely in my lineage. I come from, I mentioned this earlier in the conversation, I come from a lineage of storytellers. On my mother's side, those are oral historians. And on my father's side, they're preachers. My family actually goes back to Martin Luther, the big reformer of the church. Hmm. So it should come as no surprise that I do what I do, given that that DNA runs through my veins. Have you remained in touch with a lot of your interviewees? I really have. Yeah, why am I not surprised? Yeah, I really have. One of them has become one of my closest friends. Um, His name is Kamau Ware, and he's the founder of the Black Gotham Experience. And he and I really bonded over working in the public square and in the public place. He is filling the gaps and also completely adding history that has been left out of New York as it pertains to Black history and is telling those stories and is making sure that they're factually and correctly documented. And so him and I are completely in love over our nerdiness, as we say, and have become very good friends since we first met six years ago. And a lot of the other people I stay in touch with, because I also want to continue to find moments to celebrate them. And of course, now with the book coming out, there are events and there are exhibitions and there are all kinds of beautiful things happening where we can celebrate our connection together. There's no transition for this question, but I meant to ask you this before. When you were doing this work, did you have any particular route? Were you always on the same train? Were you only in Brooklyn or Manhattan? How, how did you navigate this? 
Yeah, I would have a very, I have a favorite loop that I love to ride and I love to hang out at Union Square. Union Square is one of my favorite stations to just hang and spend That's time in. That's not near the village in Manhattan, for those who don't know. One of my loops is that I would take the G train um, at Clinton Washington Station, which is my home station. In Brooklyn. To, in Brooklyn to um, to Hoyt Skirmerhorn, also in Brooklyn. And then I would get on the A or the C and I would take it into the city. And then I would let it take me kind of as high uptown as I would have time for, then make my way back down to 14th and 8th in Manhattan, take the L train over back to Brooklyn, and then take the L to the G and ride back home. And taking that <laughs> loop is almost like going on a meditative walk for me. Because of course, that loop gets in a Interrupted, right? Because I will see someone while I'm riding a train and I will get off my route and I will jump on an F train. And then from the F train, maybe I'll jump back on the G and then the G will take me, uh, you know, deep into Brooklyn and I'll walk over to the J or something crazy. And then the, when the loop happens, though, it's really like I'm riding, like I'm a surfer and like I'm riding the wave. And that feels, all of it feels very satisfying and it's very meditative. And then I had to admit that writing that loop was kind of also minimizing who I was exposed to. And so over the years, I've made an effort and I can now proudly say that I've ridden every train line front to back. I visited, of course, all five boroughs doing that. And, you know, there is uh, there are amazing stories to be found along every single stop. Does the MTA know who you are? The MTA and I finally made contact, Sandy. It only took me seven years. <laughs> the MTA is sometimes slow. Just kidding. We love you, MTA. Well, people after people don't know, it's the a Metropolitan Transportation Authority, just to get that out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The MTA is, uh, is a beautiful beast, but um, I'm currently speaking with them about doing a pop-up bookshop at Union Square Station, and I'm very excited to announce that and to make that official. You're hearing about this first for the very first time. Hi, yeah, yeah, Oli, you just really take my breath away. I also wanted to ask you, in just in terms of very specific questions, what's an average amount of time that you would be on a train on a particular day doing what you were doing? Before the pandemic, I would really make time for it. And I would make sure that I had three to five hours where I could just ride at least once a week. And during that time, I looked at it like I was going fishing and I would get maybe, I would get maybe you know, five solid fish out of that out of that time frame. Mm-hmm. And I love doing that because it's really the most gratifying thing. Now with the pandemic, you know, I also want to be respectful to people's space. I haven't been approaching strangers the same to the same degree right, right. because people sense. are sketched out mm-hmm, and I respect mm-hmm. that. So currently I invite people to meet me at a subway station of their choice and to talk about a book that moves them. And it tends to be someone very interesting who has a lot to say and who I think has a good take on the current moment and who can give us a good perspective. So, you know, the work changes as the times change. And I think it's very important to stay flexible and to not get boxed in by your own creative rules too much, because then that can really prevent you from doing the work that you're meant to be doing. So what do you want to do down the road? I would really like to expand this mini podcast for Between the Lines that I have started. 
I would love to get into that space because I think it's so good to hear these voices and to hear the different inflections and to hear where people are from and to hear the subway rattling by in the background. And by the way, people are surprised. I have a little mic that I take with me and people are like, how is the sound quality so good? I figured it out. Very mobile, very easy to do. And the other thing that I really want to do is get into unscripted TV and to bring these stories to life visually and to expand who we're meeting and how we're meeting them and how we get to see their lives. So I think expanding the media itself will be really exciting. And then I'm also tinkering with something that is totally not at all in the works yet, but I would really love to have a Subway Book Review imprint where we also turn these some of these fantastic stories into memoirs and first-person narratives and make them into printed books. I already know what the covers will look like. It's going to be very good. It's going to be very good looking. So I can't wait. But all of these things need a lot of support. And I'm one woman. So I really am hoping that the right people will find me at the right time and support these efforts because my resources and my energy, as crazy as that may sound, is also finite and limited. Yeah, that is crazy that it's finite, but not for nothing, Uli. I would imagine that whatever you set your sights on, whatever mountain you're at the bottom of, you climb to the top. It's really, you really are an incredibly impressive, creative, out there, different kind of woman. And that's only said in a positive way. This has been nothing short of fascinating. And I hope you continue to do what it is that you do, because it really is, it's so unusual and imaginative and creative and welcoming and what connections you've made. Gee, would you like me to deliver your eulogy? <gasps> Sandy, we should talk about it. Should we? Will you take a stab at it right now? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I would have to prepare. No, I would not do that. Um, I love what you're saying, though. And thank you so much. Your, your, your words hit me right in the heart because you really encounter so many wonderful creative people. And it means so much to me that you, you know, that you find this crazy endeavor that I've been on for this many years share worthy and uh, that you believe your listeners will also get something out of it. And I really, I hope that if people have one strong takeaway is that do not be discouraged because life will shift and change all of the time. And it is never meant as a course change against you. There will always be a door that you can walk through. And if it's locked, you walk to the next one and knock there. There is no finite amount of possibilities. And I just really hope that people feel that and that they know it in their hearts. And that if anyone is out there thinking about starting a project, that you build your own little accountability group and that you get out there and find your hype people who will keep you on the right track and who will encourage you to just go out there and to just try something new. I think that's the most perfect way to end. That says it all. Uli, what a trip, <laughs> literally and figuratively, <laughs> to get to meet and know you. Thank you so much, Sandy. It was such a pleasure to spend time with you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. 